0: You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village, or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com.
1: Good morning. Our focal passage today comes from John 10, verses 1 through 21. If you have a Bible, you can read along with me, or the words will be on the screen. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Thank you. You can have a
0: seat, and the kids can now be dismissed to their class. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you here. Thanks for hanging out with us this morning. I'm going to shut this and get a couple things organized, and we'll jump in. My name is Matt Tucker. I'm one of the pastors here Pastor Michael, who typically um, preaches, is um, on a mission trip to Guatemala with a team. We prayed for them last Sunday. My wife's on it, as well as there's a total of 13 people. And so uh, he is out there doing some good stuff with the rest of the team, and we're, we're thankful for him doing that. And um, I get to preach this morning. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we will dive on into John 10:21, 1 through 21. God, thanks for this day. Thanks for your love for us. Thanks for this church. Thanks that you care for this church and you care for your church. And God, you are the thing that sustains all things. And God, I pray that this morning, a familiar passage such as this one about the good shepherd, that it that would resonate with us, that we wouldn't tune out and, and, and know that it's kind of familiar, but that we would dig in and see how you are the best thing. You are the greatest shepherd. And God, I pray that we would be able to entrust our lives to you, knowing that you are that good. God, thanks for this opportunity. I pray that you would help me to say only things that are helpful. And God, I pray that you would do work in us and through us this morning because of your word. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Do you remember the first time you laid eyes on, what's he gonna say, a Reese's peanut butter egg? (laughs) The melt-in-your-mouth, perfect ratio of chocolate to peanut butter gooey goodness has been the downfall of many dieters. It has been a a tough thing for myself when I just get a package of them at Easter. My wife's great. She gets like gifts and stuff like that. And George put a big packet of six or 12 and I'm like, yes. And I'm like, oh, because I know I'm going to eat them. Right. And maybe that day. And it's so tough. They're so good. And yet when I was on a mission trip to South Africa, like 12 years ago, maybe longer than that, We tried to tell them, we we talked about a lot of things, we got on like desserts and treats and so we talked to them about this heavenly goodness called, you know, Reese's peanut butter eggs and they were like mortified, they're like, that's the grossest thing I've ever heard to put peanut butter with chocolate. Most of them, (laughs) there you go, most of them though rejected this delicacy having never tried it. They didn't know how good it could be. In our folk passage today, kind of hard swerve, Jesus tries to get us to understand how good he can be, Right? He makes the claim that he is God and being God can shepherd his people better than anyone else. All of us today have a desire to, to know someone like this. We we all, whether it's God or not, we all have a desire to be cared for, to be known, to be appreciated and valued and looked after in this way. And Jesus makes the claim that he is this person, that he is the good shepherd who cares for his people the best. And if you've been here for a couple weeks or if you're new, we've been going through a series in John. We've been going through the book of John, and it's called The Gospel of John, That You May Believe. And we're in chapter 10 today, and most of the chapters up to this point have been telling us that Jesus is God in one way, shape, or form. Through the words that Jesus is saying, through the miracles that he's been doing, all of those are pointing to the fact that he is God, and it wants us to believe that. And like so many of the chapters before, Jesus makes a claim that he is God the Pharisees do their best to kind of rebuttal that or reject it. And we see a crowd of people around him as well that, that are kind of in the middle. Some believe and some don't know what to think. And so that's where we find ourselves again today. In our focal passage today, Jesus shows us that he is what is best for his people by using different analogies of what, as well of like a sheep and a shepherd thing, which was very obviously appropriate for them back in their day. But I think we can also grow and learn from this as well. So today we're going to look at John 10. 1 through 21, and we're going to look at how Jesus calls to the sheep, what he is offering, and the extent to which he will sacrifice to make all of this happen today. And this passage, again, like I, in my prayer, might seem cliche, right? Like the good shepherd is kind of on coffee mugs, and it's something we've probably heard of. Jesus is our good shepherd, and you know, we hear it from the Psalms, but it's, it's trusting his goodness of God, that's, that's challenging for me, right? When I really come down to it, I would say as a fact, well, I believe in the goodness of God. But do I actually live like I believe it? And that's what I want us to think about and consider today. And here are a couple of reasons. First, you maybe don't see that you need a shepherd either, right? This is why this passage is important. Maybe you're living along and you're competent. You've got a good head on your shoulders and life is not that bad. And you're like, well, Matt, why would I need another good shepherd? Why would I need an entity over me to kind of tell me what I need to do or care for me? I'm very capable and, and I'm fine, Or secondly, like I was alluding to earlier, maybe it's hard to fully entrust your life to God when you don't know what he might ask of you and you're unsure of where he might lead you or call you to. That's scary, right? Because gosh, if we give our lives to God and say, whatever you want, I am yours and I believe that you are so good, I'm going to give all of myself to you, what is he going to to call us to? If I entrust my life to God, is he going to ask me to sell everything I have and go somewhere I really didn't intend to go? If I entrust my life to God, what if he allows me maybe to suffer in some way for his glory, but in a way that's really painful? If I entrust my life to God, then maybe I'm not in control of my life and the plans that I think I want to do. So here are two questions I want each of us to consider as I go through this passage today. Do I believe that Jesus, first of all, is the good shepherd? And if so, will I confidently entrust my life to him? Do I confidently entrust my life to him? And the main idea, if you're taking notes today, it will also be on the screen, is this. Knowing how good the good shepherd is allows us to confidently entrust our lives to him. Knowing how good the good shepherd is allows us to confidently entrust our lives to him. Angie, thanks for reading the focal passage. I'm going to just jump in on verse 1 for a second, and I hope you got a good hang of it, because I won't read all of this again, but I'm just going to hit on some verses here. Um, chapter 10, verse one says, truly, truly, this is Jesus talking. I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold, but by the door climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. And so we're going to explain a little bit, right? And Jesus jumps right in. Um, the Pharisees the whole time have been like pounding at Jesus and and denying that he's God and trying to trick him. And Jesus kind of goes right at him in a way. And he calls them basically frauds. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day, and Jesus calls them thieves and robbers right off the bat in verse 1. And so why would he do that? Why would he call them thieves and robbers? That sounds maybe harsh, but when we know from the whole time that they've been doing this, we know where Jesus is coming from. They were using the people, as religious leaders, they were using the people for their own selfish purposes. The religious leaders were more concerned with their own power they loved making the rules, they loved enforcing the rules, they loved being able to show that they can keep the rules, and they, they lorded that over their people. Their love of power led them, led them to suppress the very people that they were supposed to shepherd and encourage and lift up. Also, the religious leaders were more concerned with their perception than in the people's good. They prayed long prayers in public spaces so that they could be heard. Um, there's passages where it talks about them clinking coins loudly into the offering so that people would notice their good works and how generous they were, how to build themselves up at the expense of the people. Ultimately, the Pharisees failed at shepherding because they were not true sheep themselves. Jesus consistently, through all of John, declares that he is God and the Pharisees consistently push back on that. In short, they were the thieves and robbers Jesus was referring to. And they were the strangers in the sheep that the sheep wouldn't follow. They were the strangers that the sheep wouldn't follow. And so we also see in this that the shepherd calls to the sheep. So we've kind of talked about the Pharisees and their lack of shepherding. And now we're going to look at how the shepherd calls to the sheep. The shepherd calls out to the sheep, and the sheep know his voice. What's more amazing is Jesus says um, the shepherd comes and he calls the sheep, and they instinctively follow him and I, I didn't know this before this last week, but I was studying some stuff on sheep and doing a little research, and in like those times, there would be multiple shepherds with flocks of sheep, and they would be out in different pastures, and at night, typically, there would be like one sheepfold where multiple like flocks would enter, and the shepherds would kind of keep watch, and you can imagine all the sheep would mingle in there, and in the morning, when the shepherd comes out, every sheep basically looks the same, at least I would think so, right? And so how does the shepherd get the sheep out. He's not like, you know, Tom, Billy, whatever. He's like, it'd be challenging and impossible and take way too long. How he gets them out is he calls out to them. And because the sheep know his voice, they instinctively come out and follow him. And I just thought that was so amazing. What a a great analogy for us as we think about God's call to us. Um, When the sheep hear the shepherd's voice, it identifies who he is. Um, when I come home from work, I'll come home whenever I enter through the garage door, and typically, not that our kids always think that a robber's in the house, but I just call out. I'm like, what's up, everybody? I'll use to say, hey, hey, babe. And then I'll say, hey, crazies, because that's what I call my kids, right? So they're always doing something wild and crazy. And so I do that, not because, again, they think that I'm ready to whatever, but like I just want them to know. Like, Dad's home. The, the, when they hear my who is walking into the house, and I hope that it puts them at peace knowing the voice that they hear. The sheep... Um, know the voice, and that voice is of someone who has cared well for them, who has provided for them, and who has been good to them, so they respond to it. When they hear the shepherd's voice in that fold, they hear this, and there's no fear. There's no uncertainty. It's, it's not a stranger's voice. They know the voice of the one calling to them. It's a natural response. And In their minds, they're thinking, that's the call of the person who has been good to me. I'm going to follow them. I'm with that person. And in a very similar way, church, God calls out like that to us today. He speaks, he calls out, and he wants us to know him and also to follow him. God is building a kingdom. We talk about this a ton. He's gathering a people for himself. And he calls out and says, this is who I am. Come and follow me. So we're going to look at this in two or three main ways in regards to his call. First, God's call for us should be recognized. I think this will be on the screen um, yeah, point number one, again, is the good shepherd calls, and kind of like an A under point one is um, God's call should be recognized. Just as sheep recognize their shepherd's voice, so we, the church, should recognize our God's voice. And you might say, well, how are we going to do that? Because he doesn't maybe audibly call out to us today. And I'm glad you asked that, because Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 is just for you. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. And so you might not hear an audible call from God today. Most of us maybe won't, but God speaks to us still through his son. Church, God has spoken to us through his son, and the more we know Jesus, the more we will recognize his voice. That means we get to study God's word. That means we get to sit And we get to pray and we get to listen because he does talk to us. Maybe not audibly, but maybe he impresses something upon our hearts. Maybe he puts something into our minds. We get to sit in community and God also speaks through the people around us, right? Sometimes through community group or through friends that love God, they'll say, hey, have you ever thought about this? And that's maybe a gentle way that God speaks to your heart. That's how we recognize the voice of God in his call. Second, I want us to know that God's call should be trusted as well not just recognized but it should be trusted by us going back to the sheep they trusted the shepherd's call because they knew him in the same way the more we know God the more it helps us to trust him so much so that when we hear his voice it's actually a joy and not a burden or it doesn't bring fear it's not a dread it, when we hear God's voice, much like the sheep, we say, that's the voice of my God. That's the voice of someone who has walked with me, who has been there with me, who helps me and encourages me and sustains me. Church, the more we trust God, the faster fear and worry will fade from our lives. When we go through problems, it is it, a, a weight, right? We don't know what's going to happen today or tomorrow, and there will be tough times, but we don't have to fear those times as much when we know that a good shepherd is with us. We recognize The more we trust God, we can be assured that whatever the call is, it's for our good from a capable God that is with us, protects us, and is able to provide for us. And third, under point one, God's call should be obeyed. It should be recognized, it should be trusted, and then obeyed. Because we recognize who is calling us, we can confidently follow and obey the call. God's call to us today is to join his family, To be on mission and to to live in a way that reflects Him. Thank God our God is not motivated by power and control like that of the Pharisees in this passage. And because He's not, the call of God is good news for us. So we delight to follow and obey Him, knowing that it is for our good. So, how do you hear God's call? Did you know that you could? To hear it by spending time in his word? Do you sense his call in prayer and meditation? Or do you often hear him through others and, and they're kind of their advice? And are you listening at all? That's one thing that I get to grow in as I was putting this message together. If, if we're so busy, if we're always on the go, if we're always doing the next thing, maybe we're kind of just blocking out God's call in our lives. And it's not that he is not able to just belt through, but maybe we're just not attentive to that. And I get to grow in this, and I invite you to grow in listening for how God is calling to you. How do you also respond to God's call? If if God informs you of something, if he puts something on your heart, if he lays a burden on you, is it met with fear of what it will cost or where it will take you? If so, I ask you this question, what does it reveal about what you think about God? Because if God impresses something upon your heart, and it's instantly met with, oh my gosh, or oh, then, then we probably don't view God as good. Maybe we don't trust him like we ought, or maybe we don't know how amazing he is. God is gathering a people for himself. How are you responding? Point number one was the good shepherd calls to his sheep. Not only does the good shepherd call to his sheep, but his call is, is something wonderful. His call is to something wonderful. offers life. We're going to read a couple verses. I'm going to pick it up in John 10, 7 through 10. And it goes like this. So Jesus said um, to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy abundantly. So Jesus continues with the sheep-shepherd kind of analogies, and he says very bluntly that he is the door. And we all know what doors are, right? But just in case you don't, doors give us access to stuff, right? They let us in and they let us out. They also deny access and even shut and they lock for our protection. And in verses 7 through 10, Jesus makes two main statements about being the door. First of all, in verse 7, he says it twice. He says, I am the door. And if we go back to the sheep, because that's who he's kind of referencing and that's the analogy for the sheep, the door of the sheepfold was a huge deal, right? Um, Either the sheep, um, sorry, either the sheep was in with access to the shepherd in the sheepfold or the sheep was out all alone without access to the shepherd outside of the sheepfold and very vulnerable to whatever was around him. The door was the sole means by which the sheep entered the safety of the fold, that's protection. And the door was the sole means by which the sheep came into the fold to find pasture, as this section says. And pasture is like how it lives, it's how it eats and what it does and grazes throughout the day, that's provision. It's really the sole means for the sheep to enjoy the good life. And for the good life, when God talks about abundant life for the sheep, that was just... The, the shepherd inviting that sheep into life, um, into eating food, into being protected, into being secure and knowing that someone is watching over that creature. Passing through the door meant that they were in. And under the statement under point number two is this, um, is that the Pharisees were thieves and robbers. And so Jesus kind of goes back to the statement, goes at them again and wants to make sure they know that they're not legitimate um, you know, leaders of the church, shepherds. Again, Jesus calls them thieves and robbers because the Pharisees were trying to gain access to the sheep without going through the door. If Jesus is the door, they're kind of going around the back door because they don't view Jesus as God. David in the Old Testament got to lead God's people, and he was a man after God's own heart for sure, but the Bible also tells us of the great flaws that he had. But, but his desire to know God and to love God shaped how he led and served and shepherded the people of Israel. The Pharisees had no intention of knowing God like David did. They, they rejected and bristled at all Je- Jesus had said. They used um, the people for their own gain and made it harder for them to know God. And they treated the people of God as a thief or a robber would treat a house they just broke into, right? They used it for their own good. They took advantage of it. There's no care for the possession. Listen to what is said um, about shepherds in Ezekiel 34. This kind of ties in perfectly, and I got it marked right here so I can hopefully find it real quickly. Ezekiel 34, 1 through 4 says this. This is, I'm God talking to Ezekiel. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel, you have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat of the fat. You clothe yourself with wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with a forceful and harsh, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. This was way back in the Old Testament, but this perfectly describes why Jesus, because they were doing the things that were talked about in Ezekiel, they were using the sheep and not caring, using them for their own good, and even being harsh with them and forceful unlike what a shepherd should be characterized as. The Pharisees shepherded in a way that uh, took life from the people. But thank God, Jesus is the door that leads his people to life. And I know this might sound, again, something you've heard often, but I want us to know and believe this, that there is no life outside of Jesus. Him saying that he is the door, that is a true statement the world will offer many other shepherds to us, right? It'll say that, hey, you can, you can be, find satisfaction here or this will be the thing that you need or, or more money or more stuff or another relationship. But all those things, though good, are like thieves and robbers in the sense that they are waiting to take advantage of you. They will ultimately leave you da- um, alone and, and let you down. So let's look at how Jesus is the door. And we're going to look at two different types of life that he invites us into. The first type of life is this. This is kind of A under, under two. Jesus offers us new life. He is the sole means by which we gain access to God's family church. Maybe you're here today and you're new and you don't know who God is or, or what it says in his word. I want you to know that Jesus claims to be God in this passage and he claims to be the way to be um, able to enter into his family. In verse 9, I read this, but it says, I am the door if anyone enters through me, he will be saved. Many believe that being a part of a religious family, doing the right thing, or, or, or you know, maybe knowing even in a, a general God, that's enough to be a part of God's family, but that's not enough. John fourteen six goes on to make this even more clear when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this is good news because it means that there actually is a way for us to be a part of God's family this morning. Through Jesus, we are invited into God's family and placed under his perfect care. And through Jesus, we have protection from dangers that are outside of his fold, the dangers of Satan and sin and death. And guess what? Life with God is not only about gaining access into his family, but God invites us into so much more than just becoming a Christian or just being a part of his family. And that takes us to point number two. Jesus is the door to abundant life. And, and maybe you've been a part of the church for a while and you know about Christianity, you know about becoming a Christian, being a part of God's family. But this new part, I want us to think through really good because we get to enjoy abundant life today. When, when Jesus, in a, one of these verses talks, and I think it's 12, talks about how the sheep or the thief comes to seal and destroy, but I've come that you may have life and abundantly, that's not like after we die. That's not after we are in heaven with God. He invites us into that today. If you are a part of God's family, abundant life is to be enjoyed right now. And I want to read Psalms 23 because this kind of gives us an idea of what abundant life is because when we all think of abundant life, that will mean something different to all of us, right? Abundant life to somebody else might say, oh man, it's, it's free of burden or it's not having to worry about money or, it's, or to whatever. But this is what I believe Jesus is talking about in regards to abundant life. This is Psalms 23. I'm just going to read it. Six verses. It's really good. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I believe that's what abundant life is. If you get things on this earth, that is great, and that's not a bad thing. But what God invites us into is peace, is knowing that he is with us. It says he makes us lie down in green pastures. That's not a bad thing. That's because he loves us and knows what's best for us and invites us into those things. That's abundant life. What if we lived each day believing that God shepherded us like that? If Jesus is our shepherd, then we shall not want for anything. And that's the key to us enjoying abundant life today. It's not that life will be perfect, like it says, um, or that we will never go through hard times, but it's knowing that God is with us and cares for us and has our best interests at heart. That's what we get to rest in, and that's the peace that God invites us into. And church, abundant life is not in the what but in the who that we have right that's what that's what psalm says and that's what we've been talking about it's so easy to think that it's a thing that we want to find and the sad thing is we often do i often do look for abundant life in the things that this world has to offer and what we get to know is that it's it's already ours It's not me striving to get abundant life. It's not me reaching and and working 90 hours a week or straining for something, but God gives it to us as we are a part of his family, as, as we get to know him, as we enjoy him. Abundant life is freely offered and it's not something we have to fight for. Can you imagine a life where you don't have to worry or fear the future? Not because there aren't dangers out there, but because you have a shepherd who is watching over you Protecting for you and providing, protecting you and providing for you. That's abundant life, and Jesus is the door through which we find that. So, how are you pursuing abundant life? Are you pursuing abundant life? Did you know that that's something that could be enjoyed today? Do you believe that you can actually enjoy it? Or is there something in your life that seems to be too overwhelming? Because that's a real thing, right? Like, gosh, there are real hardships in our lives today, people pass away. Um, life is hard, recession may be there, whatever, whatever it is, and those things are real, and we get to, to think on those things and consider those things and prepare for those things, but, but we shouldn't look at them as something to be feared or dreaded or that like maybe um, causes us to shrink back. Knowing that Jesus is with us, that will provide for us and walk with us should allow us to walk through those hardships um, in a peace and in a way that is, is mindful of him and, and allows us to just step forward. Jesus is the door and the answer to all that we need. He invites this type of provision. He is the good shepherd that offers life to the sheep. And point number three is this, the good shepherd sacrifices. In this third section of scripture, Jesus makes it perfectly clear who he is. In the the first point, um, point number one, Jesus is calling out to his sheep. And it was a little vague, right? You maybe, if you're new to this section, you would be like, I think that sounds like something Jesus would do, but he doesn't say, this is me. In point number two, Jesus is saying, I am the door to to new life and to life. And in the third part, he comes right out and declares that he is the good shepherd. In verse 11, he says it. He also says it in in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. And I want us to look at this last section through um, the lens of how authority is used, right? So we're going to, there's a lot in this last section. We're not going to get to every little thing, but I want us to look at these verses through the lens of authority, The good shepherd um, sacrifices his life for the sheep. That's what I want us to know. Um, And we're kind of of contrast Jesus sacrificing his life and laying his life down for the sheep with the hired hand who does the opposite. The care and the well-being of the sheep are so important to the good shepherd that he is willing to give his life for the sheep. And I say willing kind of emphasize because he doesn't have to, right? The good shepherd could see a lion or a wolf coming and be like, i going to go this way and take care of myself, right? He doesn't have to engage or even put himself in danger. But he willingly, for the love of the sheep, steps into that and is willing to lay his life down even to death. He has every reason to protect himself. But in laying down his life, the good shepherd uses his authority for the good of the sheep. And that's unlike much of the authority we see today. That's unlike the authority that we saw displayed with the Pharisees. Jesus uses his power to protect the sheep and, and the good shepherd uses his position to prioritize their good. And why would he do this? Further down, we read it's because he is known by the Father. Jesus says, "Love by the Father and that frees him to then love us and lay his life down for us." Verse 14 says this: "I know my own. This is Jesus talking. In my own, know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father." So Jesus lives out of this perfect love from the Father, and that love flows through Jesus onto us. And so let's contrast that now with the hired hand. The hired hand sacrifices his life, or sorry, the hired hand sacrifices the sheep for his good. We've looked at how the shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep, and now we're going to contrast it with the hired hand who sacrifices the sheep for his good. The hired hand has authority as well. We all have some sort of authority, each of us do, And he has the power to act as well, right? The hired hand can make a decision as well. He could say, he could see the danger coming and he could be like, I'm gonna engage like the good shepherd would or the hired hand could also use his authority to do something else. Verse 12 says, the hired hand sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and he flees. Seeing the wolf, the hired hand prioritizes his own well-being and leaves the sheep defenseless, alone and vulnerable to whatever the danger is that's coming. He's not in it for the sheep, but he's in it for his own gain. He's, he's there for the paycheck, right? I'm not putting the hired hand down. Don't know who he is. Maybe he's a great guy, but he is not in it for the sheep. There's no relationship with the sheep, there's no love, only a self serving use of authority that we see, and that's what God tells us. The Pharisees are these hired hands, and this is how they have been shepherding God's people. Born blind. But that, that Michael talked about last week. Michael preached a message from John chapter 9, and there was a, the man born blind. Jesus heals him on a Sunday. And instead of celebrating with him, the Pharisees put him down to say, you are steeped in sin, how dare you? And because this man who was healed got in the way of the Pharisees trying to put down Jesus, they throw him out of the temple. They kind of verbally insult him and abuse him and and cast him right out. The Pharisees use their authority for their own good at the expense of the people they were supposed to be caring for. This is what I want you to know from point number three. The good news is that Jesus uses his authority for our good, As well. He's not like the hired hand. This is why he is the good shepherd. He is the only shepherd that has all the power and could do whatever he desires and yet chooses to use his authority in a way that disadvantages himself. So let's look at these two different ways um, he does that. First, Jesus uses his authority to lay down his life for us. In the sheep shepherd analogy, the good shepherd doesn't lay down his life without a reason, it's because the sheep are in mortal danger. They're not going to make it if the good shepherd doesn't lay down his life for the sheep. They need his rescue. And oftentimes the sheep would not even be aware of the danger that was around them. And yet the good shepherd steps in on his own and, and, and rescues them and protects them and gives his life. Church, we are like those sheep. We often live as if we have no need of a shepherd. We often are unaware of the mortal danger right around us scripture says that satan walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour and oftentimes we go through life not even aware that god's present not aware of the goodness of him and not aware that we need him and not aware of the danger that's right around us and god oftentimes steps in without us even being aware of it the magnitude of Jesus' sacrifice for us reveals the extent of the danger we are in It took God's Son dying for you and me to rescue us, to secure our protection. That's how he used his authority. Jesus used his authority to lay his own life down, dying on the cross to secure our rescue, a rescue from Satan and sin and death. And apart from Jesus' sacrifice, we stand as much chance of survival as a sheep does against a lion. He has no chance. Jesus is our good shepherd. He saw our need and selflessly used his authority to lay down his life so that we might have life. Second, B under number three is this. Jesus also uses his authority to take up his life again for us. Speaking about his life in in verse 18, Jesus says this. I have authority to lay my life down. He says, I also have authority to take my life up again. And this is huge because first Jesus is claiming to be God, Right? Um, no one else can make that claim. If I can claim to have authority to lay my life down, and, and you also have that authority, you can say, I'm gonna die for this cause, or I'm gonna give my life to that thing, and you have every right to do that, but none of us here can say, hey, after I lay my life down, I'm also gonna take my life back up again. No one except God can make that claim, and in making this statement, Jesus is being perfectly clear who he is to the Pharisees. Second, Jesus knows that the sheep need a shepherd, it would also not serve the sheep well if Jesus laid his life down for them to rescue them this time. And then the sheep live the rest of their life being exposed to whatever else is around them, right? And the same for us, the church. Jesus died for us. Jesus came to, to offer our life and to purchase us life. But if he stays dead, that really does us, the church, no good. We need a shepherd just like the sheep do. So Jesus being God, he sees um, the authority and, sorry, Jesus uses his authority to take back his life And lives today, continuing to shepherd his people. And third, this would be C, he is able to take up our lives with him as well. Jesus is the good shepherd who cares for our physical needs, but more than that, he cares for our spiritual needs. Because he has the authority to take up his own life, we don't have to fear our death all of us will probably die at some day or at some point and guess what it's it's a, t- a fearful thing it's it's not fun to think about but when we know that Jesus laid down his life and he also had the power to take it back up it gives us confidence that when we die he has the power if we are in him to take back up our lives as well jesus used his authority for our good and through his death and life continues to shepherd his people perfectly so how does jesus use the authority Sorry, so how does Jesus' use of authority shape the way you think about it? Do you you view authority as a tool to control or as an opportunity to serve and to care? Do you try to avoid authority because you've seen it done so poorly? Maybe there's a parent that just used authority in a a way that was violent and abusive, or maybe you've seen an authority figure um, use it in a way and you just say, I don't want anything to do with that. I'm done with it. I hope as we've looked at how God uses authority that it maybe redeems that picture And what I ask is in what areas of life might you be able to use your authority to build his kingdom? Because like I said, we all do have some authority. We're not God. We can't, we don't have the authority to raise our lives back up, but he has given us authority and we get to use that to build his kingdom. Can you imagine living a life as if you don't know the good shepherd? Many of us in this room, including myself sometimes, um, who are a part of his flock, we live as if we don't know this God, or this authority that he has for us. And what we get to do is we get to remember the sacrifice Jesus made, and we get to enjoy the life he offers, and we get to rest in knowing that he knows what's best for us, and that he uses his authority for our good. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. That's the end of point number three. So for multiple chapters now, the Pharisees have been asking Jesus, who are you? And through words and miracles, Jesus verses, let's look at how Different people respond to this. This is um, if you want to follow along, I'm gonna read 19 through 21. This is Jesus, uh, this is kind of some narrative. There was again division among the Jews because of these words. Jesus claimed to be God and, and the authority he says he has. Many of them said, He has a demon, and he is insane. Why listen to him? And others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? ways that we get to respond to all this today. We see that some reject, right? The Pharisees have rejected Jesus from the beginning, and some here reject him as well. They think he's crazy. They think he has a demon. Who dare says that they are God and can raise himself from the dead? That person, whoever he is, must be out of his mind. Some also aren't sure, right? Some are kind of on the fence. Some are saying, well, this sounds crazy, but what a crazy person say this as well? And so they're on the fence. They haven't decided that Jesus is God, that he is a good shepherd, but they also haven't decided that he's not. They're not convinced that he is God and they're not convinced that he's not God. And some also believe. Um, I've alluded to the last week's chapter a little bit, chapter nine, and I just want to read one small section from this kind of tie up, um, an example of someone who, who declares Jesus as God. In chapter nine, 35 through um, 38, it says this, Jesus heard that they had cast this man out. This is the blind man that was healed. And having found him, Jesus says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the blind man answers. He says, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And the blind man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. These are the three responses that we have for us today as well, right? We see people all through here rejecting, not knowing, and also believing. And that's our opportunity today, not just for salvation, but just in in identifying Jesus as our good shepherd, if he is good or not. These are the three responses. And church, I want you to believe and live like Jesus is the good shepherd. From this passage of scripture, I want us to know, to be able to say when we walk out of here, I do believe that. Because of all that he is, because of all that he's done, because of how he's laid his life down, I can claim this and I believe this. He does call out to the sheep and he is gathering a people for himself. Jesus continues to offer new life and abundant life and he makes all of this happen through his sacrifice on the cross for us. He is the better shepherd that you can confidently entrust your life to and he has shown through his call and through his offer and through his sacrifice that we can trust him. He is that good. And I want to kind of wind this down with um, a song that I've been listening to a lot. Um, I 100% believe that Jesus is God. You know, I wouldn't be up here on the stage preaching at you if I didn't believe it, if I wasn't a Christian. But many times it's hard for me to, to freely give myself to him and not be a little timid or scared of what he will call me into. What if something happens to my wife while she's in Guatemala? I can't do anything about it, and I'd fool, well, there's, there's a ton out there that could happen, and that's scary for me. What if, what if I get cancer? What if something horrible happens to one of my children? And, and I'm just being honest. If, if something like this happened, what my fear is is this. Would I still believe that God is good, and would I still cling to him as my only hope if one of these things plays out? And I desire that. I want that. I want that for you. But that's something that I'm still wrestling with. It's one thing for me and for us, To factually believe that God is good, and it's another thing to live like it, right? Many of us here today would say, oh yeah, God's good, but do we live like that? Do we make decisions like that? Do we have fear still of those things showing that we might not fully believe that? And like I alluded to, there's a song that I've been listening to almost every day for the past month. Things have been busy, and and we've been dealing with a lot of stuff, and it's a song where the words of the song both meet me where I am, and they challenge me. When I sing this song, I resonate with it because I do believe that God is good, but I also sing the song praying that God would let me believe this as well, and the song is Altogether Good, and the band um, that was up here, they've done that a couple weeks um, ago, and I asked them to do it again today, and I want this to kind of be a way that we um, engage with this message today. Today. Um, so I'm gonna read a, a couple of lyrics for you. I want us to think about it, and then I'll, and I'll kind of close things down. This is Altogether Good, and again, I'm just being genuine with you. This has been a blessing to me. And this is also, this is my prayer for myself. And this is my prayer for you. And in verse, I'll pick it up in verse two. It says this, through our joys and through our grief, you have led us to believe the wisdom of your ways, the currents of your grace express. You are only hope for all our days. And here's the chorus. In the longing of our souls, in the darkness where we go, you are there, you are love, you are altogether good in the weakness of our faith, and the silence where we wait, you are here, you're enough, you are altogether good. And then the bridge closes out like this, said, I love you, Lord. It's a response, it's worship, just as the guy in, in chapter 9 did, the blind man who was healed. I love you, Lord. You are my more holy, present, and pure. And gosh, I wrestle with that, right? Because I believe this in one sense. And in a real sense, I do struggle with this as well on a day-to-day basis. And this song, many times when we sing it, it grips me. I'm like, gosh, I do want this. This is, you are my more, God. You are the thing that I've been searching for and want to know that it satisfies me. But I also know sometimes I, I don't fully rest in that. And so I leave you with this song today and say, man, as the, as the band sings it, please engage with it. Please think through the words of this and listen as God might want to speak to you and call out to you and and press something upon your heart. So my prayer for us today is that we would live, that we would believe that God is that good and that he is the more we are searching for. I don't want us to live with fear and worry anymore. I don't want us as a church um, to live without the knowledge that there is a good shepherd, but I want us to confidently, like our main idea said, entrust our lives to him. We don't have to go through life alone, and we don't have to worry about tomorrow. We have a good God who calls us to himself, who offers life to us and makes all of this possible through Jesus' death on the cross. So we get to submit to him. We get to follow and entrust ourselves to him, and we get to be grateful for the sacrifice that he made and the extent that which he went to to show his love and his care for us. We entrust our lives to him. We're going to go into a time of response, as we regularly do. And if you're new, that time of response is this, where you get to sit there and we hope that, that not because of anything I said, but because of maybe something God's word has impressed upon your heart, that you might change something, that you might repent of something, that you might trust God more in an area of your life today because of something Jesus has said. It may be because of a way that you now think about him. And my prayers, that you would see him as the best thing. I will be back by the red tree somewhere back there. You're welcome to pray with me. We have a prayer bench over here, and there will be people by the red tree back there that you can pray with. And again, it's not only if you have like a physical need. If, if you're struggling with something spiritually, we would love to talk with you about it and pray with you about it. If there, if there is a physical need, we would love to talk with you about that too. If there's anything else, please come back and find us because we want to connect with you. We're also going to take communion. Um, Communion is for those who are believers, who are Christians, a part of God's family. And and the juice, the grape juice here, um, symbolizes um, Jesus' blood that was shed for you on the cross. And and the bread symbolizes Jesus' body that was broken for us. So check out the questions. There will be some questions on the screen. Take some some time to pray. Please engage with a song. Um, Band, I invite you up. You're welcome to come up and lead us in that. And uh, I'll leave you to be. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this passage of scripture. God, um, apart from me, I pray that you would be made much of. Um, whether I said great things or, or not great things, God, I pray that people would see you. I pray that our hearts would be drawn to see you as the best thing, that we would trust you as perfectly good, and that you might give us the grace to surrender ourselves to you, knowing that you are the perfect shepherd, you are the good shepherd. God, we need you and we love you. And we pray all of this in your name, amen.